Now, also, I remember you guys playing that back uh, 2011 and 2012. How much did you change up that song from those days to what ended up on the opponent? What do you mean? Like, I could swear, like, you guys used to play that uh, live uh, back in the old studio at MSC. I did. Uh, I think Martin... In the, in the intro, you hear this like like this like kind of electronic type of intro. It's funny we actually talked about that today though because that song hasn't really crossed over as much as the other ones as far as like danceability or dance beat. It sort of remained a straight up awesome rock ballad in a way. I mean, it has some mood pieces added to it. Uh, from, you know, DJ Laptop, but it's, uh, it sort of remained its integrity, and, and, and what, what, Martin was saying something today about, what were you saying that it does, like, in the crowd, like, cool people, I think that one song stands out in the set for being different, as Evan was describing, um, because it doesn't really have the whole GJ dance sort of element to it. But what I think it does is draws the crowd in. We really noticed during that song, that's when sort of people stop kind of flopping around and actually just stare at us <laughs> in a good way. I think it, it kind of has an effect of kind of, you know, drawing people in. And um, it, it's a very sort of moving song. Um, from my perspective, um, when I actually received the, uh, the song from Evan to work with for the opponent, um, all the guitars and vocals were already tracked. So all I really had to do was come up with the sort of the drums, bass, like the, the backline really to fill in the sound. And so in a sense, the song probably hasn't changed that much in, in terms of its sort of um, its feel and its, its message. All I've really done is, is modify the actual backing for it. So um, I don't know if that's fair to say. I didn't really ever hear the original. No, I think so. I think you added a lot to the backing. Um backing vocals, the backing tracks, some synthesizers, some, some bigness, some mood. Uh, that song is very, really, if I'm allowed, it's very magical. It, 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 it's, it's a little bit of a fairy tale. brings you into another world. I mean, that's uh, a lot of what uh, that, I don't know, that vibe is about. I couldn't love you any more than I do now. It's it's a it's a trip, man. It's a trip. Now, for a chemical marketplace, um, tell me how that yeah, has changed. Total, total opposite. Yeah. Chemical marketplace is just pure, unadulterated. I don't know, egotistic chemical warfare of energy. The whole riff, the whole concept is this completely overblown megalomaniac. I don't even know how to describe it. You know, when we when we first started playing it out, there were two lead guitarists both dueling the intro lick, which is so fast and so frenetic. It was compared to Dragon Force, but not not. I mean, that doesn't even do it justice. It was so wretched. Um, Martin and I actually did a remix of it 
But um, I think what happened is it's not that I don't like the song, but my my mind, my soul, my inner message has evolved a little bit, and that also I think plays a part in which songs you want to play and want to communicate. But I don't know. I do realize that you, you know you can't erase like your old catalog. Artists play songs from their entire life, and um, I think that chemical marketplace will resurface at some time. We'll probably release a remix of that, maybe on a best of album. I mean, we shot a video for it. It's a great song. Can I just chime in here? I actually did try and remix it, and the original is so good. The original is so hot that I actually had it. Couldn't do it justice. My remix is just fell by the wayside. So well, you know what it is? It's the guitar work. It's very hard. You know, a guitar solo is one thing. If you could do some really cool, like, dubstep moves and stuff, it's entertaining. But the whole intro, the whole vibe is this dueling, frenetic. I mean, and that's how chemicals work in your body when you're on drugs and, and whatnot. I mean, they're, they're limitless. They're unlimited uh, lights, which I'm not encouraging them. I'm, you know, there's also a price. Um, but anyway, I would love if you would play it, Nick. We should listen to it and let uh, people decide for themselves. Okay. Here we go. ERS with uh, Chemical Marketplace on WMSC 90.3. It's 8.15. Stay tuned.
about 8.20 p.m. You are listening to WMSC 90.3 in Upper Montclair, New Jersey, from Montclair State University. Uh, this is Japan Nick interviewing Evan Russell Saffer. Now, tell me, Evan, if you were going to introduce a new member into your band, who do you think would likely end up being the next member? Uh, drummer, bassist, or a guitarist? I think that's a great question. It's funny you said that because listening... Can you hear me? Yeah. Shoot. Okay. Listen, by the way, am I coming in clear? Because we're using a very different sort of technology. Keep going. Okay, so it's clear. Yes. All right. So uh, Martin and I were just talking about it. I think because we were listening to Chemical Marketplace and it's such a guitar-driven song... Um, and also one of our longest relationships as far as me and my solo time, uh, post-fixer, last two and a half albums, uh, it's got to be Eric Bear on lead guitar. Um, now, he didn't play those solos. What you just heard from Chemical Marketplace, that studio recording was the original guitar player fixer, who I'm still friendly with to this day, who is a phenomenal artist and a good friend of mine. His name is Wilson Lin. Wilson uh, co-wrote Chemical Marketplace with me and also all of Neon Gas and played all of the parts in the studio. Later on, I had to put together a live band, a tour, and Eric Bear became the, the lead guitarist, and I spent uh, an equal amount of time with him on the road and also behind the scenes. He also wound up contributing to the opponent. We co-wrote that together. No. And I'm also friendly with him to this day. He still, he knows Martin, uh, he's come to the shows, um, but everybody has their own path. We've all continued, and for different reasons and uh, in different directions. I think that if I wanted to write a song with either of those guys at any time, and I was serious, they would uh, they would embrace the idea. They're phenomenal, A plus talent, and genuine people that I love. And um, so, to answer your question, you know. I think the lead guitar is so integral, and I've always been a fan of it. I just think that uh, going forward, what we're going to try to do is less of the shredding, which is fun, and I, I don't rule it out. Maybe we'll get a guest guy to come up and do some of that. But we are both capable of writing some crazy riffs and awesome little segues and cool parts and then using some more electronics and other ideas, even vocal solos, to fill those spaces and make great songs. And at the end of the day, you know, whether you're a guitar purist, uh, a music lover, uh, or simply say, I love a good song, at uh, the end of the day, you know, that's what we all want to do. So I don't want to disappoint anybody. Uh, my job is to make music that I think is fulfilling to myself. Uh, if something's missing, you know, you all know me. I'll get the guy. I'll get the right guy to come in and play it, either live or in the studio, and we're going to rock. Definitely. Now, just wondering, did you ever, like, um, leave anything off uh, an album that 
like you created during the Neon Gas sessions? Oh my gosh, every album something's left off. Tell me about I mean, some well, of the better leftovers. Right now, I mean, tell, tell Nick what we got going now. I mean, we have so many ideas. You know, we say seven songs because there's seven songs right now fully recorded for a new album that you can listen to front to finish with patterns and other instrumentation and backing vocals that have been worked on and comped. If you if you mean like ideas or demos that I've sent Martin and songs and we've 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 written in a bunch of different ways actually. Another way we write is where Martin brings in a beat, a completely new vibe, and I start scatting and we come up with melodies that way and then I'll finish the rest of the song or still finish the rest of the pattern and I'll I'll write I mean I I embrace that kind of challenge. I love that. So if you want to include that, I mean, God, we probably have upwards of... I think we have 20. 20, yeah. I mean, I think there's it's always, always a ton. When you hear an album, I don't think there's an artist on the planet, I think, at this level, that would be on radio with you, or at this level, that would write the exact amount of songs and produce that are on the actual album. Nobody. Now, I don't think so. Do you have any worries about like putting your music onto vinyl? Because it's always been like CD or just like digitally. But I don't believe you have a, a past with vinyl yet. I haven't, but we're eager to do that. And I also, I've embraced everything because I'm a Pisces and I have a difficult time making decisions. Uh, but I, I think that digital while it's extremely accessible and I'm sure everybody who's listening has heard this before digital has lost a step sonically I'm sorry there is no comparison you know the older formats sonically were more comprehensive I feel uh, analog um, vinyl that warmth I I I love that. I still get off on old Led Zeppelin records and, you know, Pink Floyd and Billy Idol and all sorts of different artists in different formats that uh, I still love. You know, a, a modern artist that I love that has is on vinyl and sounds great is uh, Father John Misty. I don't know if you know him, but he's, uh, he's kind of gospel and very sexy. So very cool. I guess the whole thing that I notice, like so many uh, rock and metal bands that I'm in contact with these days, it's like everybody loves the vinyl. They love everything that it's about. They want to save it, but it's just like vinyl is not cheap at all. Um, I just read actually recently that um, vinyl sales are actually increasing. Oh yeah. Although they're only a very small percentage of the actual, you know, global market. Um, the sales are increasing in the past year. I think they increased significantly, whereas digital downloads did actually decrease. I think most people are moving to a subscription-based model. But well, it, it depends what kind of consumer you are. If you want quantity, you want nothing to do with vinyl. It's much more expensive. It's much more expensive. If you want quantity, you do not get vinyl. If you want quality, if you've got a couple favorite artists that you that is your sanctuary and you listen to, 
Yeah, man. Yeah. Final. Definitely. So what kind of um how how large of a pressing do you expect uh like the opponent or uh this next album of yours to get? Like a hundred, five hundred, a thousand? What are you thinking? Five thousand? What was the question? How many pressings? Like how big of a pressing would you expect for your first uh endeavor on vinyl? I think that the first uh the first run of vinyl is not going to be the opponent. I think the opponent is exclusively digital. It marks the crossover of Evan Russell Saffer from rock to digital. It was a five-song EP. Yeah. We released it through Uberstrom. They're responsible for that. Um, the new works by DJ Laptop and myself I think will be a much more comprehensive catalog. It'll be longer albums that are, with remixes that are worth pressing. And I, I, I cannot see the initial runs being less than a thousand pieces. Uh, vinyl, um, hard copy CDs and digipacks, um, digital download cards, stickers, the whole thing. I think that we're really, uh, you know, any business person will tell you that the, the content justifies the execution or rollout of the company. So the number that I give you is basically justified on how confident we are with the product. Um, I, I am confident in saying that we're going to start with at least a few thousand uh, units because I think it's fantastic, and I think that 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 people will embrace it because it's not just a few songs; it's a full album, it's a full experience. We've taken our time to um, cultivate the, the craft. Now, are you expecting to uh, or? use any sort of exclusive art that would only be found on the vinyl or any other sort of like special exclusive things just to better win over your fans to actually get them to shell out the money for the vinyl? I love that idea, Nick. You know, in the past, I used to embrace that always like with artists. I do that a lot of cave too. We always have different artists on the walls. Nowadays, it's all about like, oh, something cool, digital, sell it now, forget about it in a month. But I agree with you. I'd like, to, I'd love to open it up. If there's any artists listening now that have cool designs and want me to facilitate you with thousands of copies of your artwork, please, by all means, contact me. Evan Russell Saffer, ERSBand.com. All my links, Facebook are there. Send me a message. If you've got a piece of artwork and you dig the music and you want me to, uh, you think it 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 would be a good match? I'll put it. I will I will facilitate you. You know what? That makes me feel good. I, I actually that <laughs> I think we should definitely do that. <laughs> Very good, idea, Nick. And yeah, <laughs> just to chime in, part of the attraction of vinyl to myself, I have some records back in the UK. Um, it's the look, and it's it, you can pick up the vinyl and look at the picture. 
I'm just thinking about like I have Bowie and Rolling Stones, lots of old stuff. Um, but it's just fun to actually look at the artwork, and you can re- on something which is you know so large, you can really appreciate the effort that's gone into the design and the look. And I think that's that's something that's really special. So, so yeah, I think we'd like to embrace that. You think it'd be like a gatefold vinyl where like you can actually open it up and it's just like a really big experience or do you think you'd start out just as like the premiere or like inaugural edition for you on vinyl it'd just be like a typical like slip case uh you know what issue. the more the more i talk to you nick i'm getting all fired up i think we should absolutely empower uh an artist to create some sort of visual interpretation and go with it. I would like to, you know, it's rare that I do this, but the first Fixer album, um, full length, was called Before the Sun. That was my original band and claim to fame. We had an artist called Jennifer Murray uh, design the entire cover, and it was human bodies with different animals as the head, all naked, worshipping around a fire. And the smoke of the fire created the Fixer logo, which was like, it's a mirror image of the tattoo I have on my arm. It was just the coolest idea ever. And it was so pagan and so edgy and so awesome. And when we got signed, First thing the record label wanted to do, and I don't want to be one of those naysaying people about record labels because they're facilitators, but the first thing they wanted to do was they said it was too edgy, we need to change the artwork, and they pushed us in a digital direction. Uh, the new album cover became like a digital ghost in front of a house in a field, and it, it was edgy and cool, but it was it became all corporate and digital. And the thing is, we loved the first copy. The hardcore fans, the core fans, the real fans loved the honesty and the imagery of the original album. And they loved the actual sound of the original album. The record label insisted on remixing it, too, which made it more, like, glossy and, and less raw. Anyway, without going into that, that, that whole thing... Uh, I agree. I think there's a magic and an intimacy and, a, and, a, and an awesome opportunity for uh, artists to do something cool, whether it's vinyl or whatever on the album cover artwork for any artist. Now, what are your feelings on cassettes then? Sorry, can you repeat the question, Nick? So, what are your feelings on cassettes then? Because they're both analog right. formats, but it's just like, I mean, for those people that have like the 1990s and maybe early 2000s cars, no, probably just late 90s, that have cassette players in their cars, it's, it's nice getting a cassette. But is that getting too old school um, for you? Well, my personal experience with cassettes is slightly, I find them inconvenient. Although, of course, I grew up taping everything, and that's kind of my heritage. It's not very convenient to keep rewinding, fast-forwarding the tapes to up. Uh, sound quality is not great. I mean, they degrade quickly over time. So, personally, it's not really a format I'm rushing to get back to. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know if there are people out there who kind of think it's retro and uh, sort of resurging the interesting cassettes, but 
Honestly, I'm, my thought is it's a bit like VHS. I mean, uh, it's not the best quality that really works. Nick, I think we should listen to a song. Okay. Let's let, let rock something now. How about a Beautiful Stranger? I love it. Awesome choice. Okay, here we go. Beautiful Stranger off the opponent. It's 8.35 and you're listening at WMS. on the air. Now, Evan, for this, for these next seven or eight songs that you have uh, pretty much in the bags, can you explain some of the stories that uh, inspired you to write these songs? Um, I think uh, they're all They've always been very personal. I mean, I feel like every song is a confession. <laughs> um, well, tell me about some of the confessions for the uh, more finished songs, then. <laughs> I don't want to explain. I guess it's hard to explain, to tell you the truth. I mean, uh, because they're very personal. Um, I feel like as an artist, though, like my early years, I I I was always idolizing 
bands like The Doors and Guns N' Roses and ACDC and all, you know, all, all sorts of kind of like, even though the formats are slightly different, they're like edgy fringe artists who maybe had a lot of conflict with the world and themselves. And that's really who I am. Um, and when I was listening to those songs, I never wanted to like meet the artist and find out exactly what he meant. I think that for me, it was about like whatever I felt like that's what he meant. <laughs> you know, like I, I took it to my place. So I hope that anyone listening to you know the music that we're making can do that. And I'd rather I'd rather it come across that way. Maybe one day when I'm old, I'll write some sort of like confessional and tell everyone what like every song really meant. But I think it's better that you just you know take it to your place. If the music can't speak for itself, then I I certainly can't. Okay, well, on that note, tell me how did you feel um, when GNR went from uh, the spaghetti incident to Chinese democracy? What were your feelings on that? Oh. Um... I've been handed the phone, but honestly, I'm I'm a GNR fan. I saw them back in '92. I haven't even heard the Chinese Democracy album. I, for some reason, not particularly interested in hearing it. It's, but maybe Aaron has. Does he want to say? Anything? I mean, what was the question? Like the new evolution of GNR. I, I, you know, I, I guess I kind of got disinterested. I, but I don't want to knock that band. I mean. You know, God bless them all. They've all done so well, and they've made such a mark. Uh, personally, I am very, very influenced by early Guns N' Roses. Uh, obviously, the Appetite for Destruction, the Use Revolution albums. And then I even think that hey, you know, the Revolver did some great, great work together, and I'm very proud of it. Um Part of it meaning, like, I listen to it still and think it's cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, influences me to some degree. Um, Chinese democracy, I think it's cool, but it, 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 it sort of drowned itself because it was it's too much backstory. To, I almost wish we could, like, listen to Chinese democracy as, like, a brand new artist because, it, you know, it doesn't feel like other voices. I guess... I could feel you on that. Just like with me, I was just like for so many years just thinking, wow, it's going to come out soon. It's going to come out soon. It's going to come out soon. And it's just like every week or every month or something like that. It's just like the excitement over waiting for it may have, how you say, surpassed the actual like excitement for what it, the album could achieve. I mean, I, I agree. And as an artist, that's why I don't want to play that game. Uh, that's why. You know, I have two records out under Evan Russell Saffer, and tonight on your show, we'd like to debut a new a new track called Give Me a Kiss. Um, you know, the album's not ready, but you're going to get a sneak preview. This may not even be the final mix. You know, this morning, Martin and I were adding backing vocals and remastering and reworking it. So we'll listen to it, and then, you know, it may, it may evolve. But I think it's cool that you know, you keep it alive. I don't. I don't agree with shutting down for a decade and then. You know, this is what we were working on. So oh, that, maybe that's... you want to play, play it. I think it's a good time. Oh, that, that's not a fair <laughs> thing to say. Come on, in 1999, 
Axel debuted uh, that song "Oh My God" on the End of Days soundtrack. That was like six years after the last concert GNR played the original lineup, or I mean, well, the Use Your Illusion lineup. Did you get to hear that one? I personally did not. As sweet as you, Evan. Uh, yeah, I've heard "Oh My God." I think it's pretty good. I was more impressed by their cover of the Rolling Stones' um... "Sympathy." Sympathy for the Devil. Sympathy for the Devil on Interview with the Vampire. Nick, I gotta take a piss. Don't do anything. Talk to Martin. I need two minutes. Okay. So, uh, Martin, tell me how how amazing was that to see GNR back in '92? And did they still have Izzy uh, Stradlin with them, or was that Gilby Clark days? Um, I, as far as I know, um, I'm not really a huge GNR uh, aficionado, so I'm not sure of the exact lineup. I know they had Izzy uh, slash Honey. I, I'm pretty sure it's the original lineup, as far as I know. I don't know the names of the people you just mentioned, but I saw them at Wembley. It was actually the um, Freddie Mercury tribute concert. Um, I think it was '92. So they played it. I think about five five songs. Uh, oh my god, it was electric. I mean, I was just a very young kid, uh, I think about 12 years old or something. Um, yeah, they were fantastic. I mean, they played all the classic songs, and of course they had that sort of uh, electricity when they came on. You know, there's such a buzz. They were coming on next, everyone was excited. They came on, it was like, wow, so powerful. Axel was top of his game at that time. Um, yeah, I just have very good memories of them being an awesome band. The sound was incredible, so loud, so full. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, that's like a, you know, pure rock and roll band. You see any, like, rock bands, like, nowadays that you feel like could carry the torch from, uh, GNR? That's a very good question, and the funny thing is, um, I think a lot of that depends on your own personal kind of perspective. I mean, the thing is, people age and people sort of, people's taste change and expectations change. And as, as you age, maybe you become less open-minded. I mean, people who are open to the GNR era were probably kids um, at the time. And um, yeah, now I might be a bit older. So um, I, I think people spiritually, sort of their, their brain sort of fixes, they become less open to new stuff. So it's very hard to say, personally, from my perspective, um, will I ever get the same excitement I got from GNR when I was a young kid? I don't know. I mean, um, I see a lot of bands that I like, a lot of artists I really like these days. I'm listening to, on my phone, most artists, actually, I listen to it from the last two or three years at the moment. So there's really good stuff going on. Will they ever quite have that same buzz? Maybe not for me personally, because I'm a bit older now, but I'm sure for the you know, younger people, Absolutely. I don't know, maybe we should listen to a GNR song and then we'll come back and listen to Give Me a Kiss by Evan Russell Saffer. Well, I guess I'll just throw some airspace on Nick Smith to join. Um, we're recording a new album now. This is Evan Russell Saffer on DJ Laptop. I've got a gig July 31st at Drum in New York City. Uh, it's only five bucks. It's going to be awesome, kick ass, incredible lounge incredible sound system. Check out the music at ersband.com. I'll also be playing the Liberty Fest in Philadelphia on August 21st at Finnegan's Week. Again, pick up some details, ersband.com. So thank Nick, WNSC, Sir Nick, uh, for having both of us. 
It was an awesome, awesome time. Okay, now, here we go with Give Me a Kiss, the brand new song from Evan Russell Saffer on WMSC 90.3. Here we go. I don't know about you, but I could feel much better than I do. I've been told the love can read your mind. Maybe my love is undefined. If I tell you well, then maybe we'll be friends. If I kill this well, then. Give me a kiss. 
Stepanik. Um, just wanted to say uh, big thanks to uh, Evan and DJ Laptop for calling in tonight and uh, spend the sixth interview with these guys and known them for about three years. So uh, it's been some good times, guys. Nick, thank you very much. That sounded cool on the radio. That was the first uh, really debut of Give Me a Kiss uh, from ERS. And we're happy that you were the one. So thank you very much to all the listeners, Montclair State, uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia, New York, anyone who's tuning in. And um, check us out at ersband.com. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you, Nick. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, guys. Until the next time. And um, 